Listening to the Ron and Don Show. To the Ron and Don Show. And yes, my dad's pretty annoying. Hey, you guys, what's going on? Welcome to episode 290 now of the Ron and Don Show, and we are live from the Les Schwab studio. What is up, Ron and Don Nation? Yeah, coming up uh, on the Ron and Don Show, they're now saying that here in Washington State, we may have one of the worst police academies of all time. How did this happen? In fact, an article came out today. 71, scores 71, get a 71. Washington State, you get a gun. We're going to talk about that. Also, COVID misinformation. You're not going to believe how many people are responsible for all the COVID misinformations out there. We'll get to that, though. Let's get to this. Um, Maria Cantwell and a lot of senators and congressmen and women are asking, hey, airline, what's happening here? We have given you billions of dollars, and yet there is flight shortages and restrictions, and you guys are late to every single city that you're flying to. What is going on here, and where are all the airline workers? Ron, I don't think it's just the airlines right now, and the Congress can go ahead and say, the airlines, we've given you billions of dollars, and sorry, our service isn't that great. I went to a restaurant the other night with my son. We sat down. The gentleman came over to the table, and he said, hey, I just want to let you know that we are going to be as open as, as long as we can be uh, tonight. Most of the stuff on the menu we don't have. This is kind of a soft opening. We're beginning to service tables and service folks and service people. He said, uh, don't get mad and upset if we're kind of late or we don't bring your water out. Just keep communicating with us. But he said, I have a lot of tables, a lot of people I'm trying to take care of, and a lot of people just haven't shown up tonight. So as a result of that, I'm the bartender, I'm the dishwasher, and I'm your cook. Uh, And this is a really nice restaurant, a great restaurant up here on Queen Anne. And so sure enough, everything we wanted to order was not on the menu. Uh, The service was not great. It took a long time to get the food. The food was not good. It just wasn't good. But we were able to sit down in a restaurant with my son, and we were able to sit at a table and sit outside, and so we made the best of it. I, end, I ended up uh, giving him a $100 tip because I really appreciated his communication and what he was trying to do. I think we're seeing this right now, not just in the airlines, but when we go out to eat. And in fact, we have a client right now who said, I used to have 13 people that worked for me in, the, in this restaurant. He said, I'm down to four. And last Friday, he ended up quitting as a result of that. So what do you think is going to happen here and what's going on? Because they say we have a nationwide shortage of workers. We're all the workers. Uh, I think people have had a, 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 a come to Jesus moment, for lack of a better phrase, where if you've ever when you're in the grind uh, and you are doing an activity like like a job. Most people, and when when sociologists and psychologists and uh, economists study this, if you have momentum going in a certain way, it's very hard to stop that momentum. You just get you get used to a certain status quo. So if that means you're a flight attendant and you don't really love it like you thought you would, but that's just what you do. 
Uh, you fly these routes, you get your paycheck, you come reliant on that paycheck. And so you just continue to do that. You see people that are been together in relationships for 20 years past their expiration date, but that's just what they know. So they keep doing it. People don't like change. And there's an inertia to that. So what the pandemic did for a lot of people is it forced them to wake up and take notice. And we're seeing hundreds of thousands, if not millions of Americans going, huh, maybe I don't like being a flight attendant. Maybe I don't like serving drinks and peanuts to super rude people that don't obey commands and don't follow the rules. You know what? Now that I think about it, it might be nice to not travel so much and to be able to have a reliable schedule. Maybe I'm going to change things up. Uh, that seems completely reasonable to me, especially in the category of jobs that you mentioned. Server, uh, a flight attendant, something to where you're working, you're really grinding out hours. Like it, it's, it's not, it's hard work and you're dealing with people a lot of the time. And even if it's 10% of the people are jerks, that 10% gets on your last nerve especially if you've worked three or four days in a row or it's 17 days in a row. It can be that one person just like, really? I'm dealing with this guy today or this gal today? Mm -hmm. And we all see the, the videos on internet of the Karens, so to speak, that throw a tantrum at a restaurant or expect, you know, I saw a thread the other day of, it was a subway and this woman, a, a quote unquote Karen, gave a one-star Yelp review because they came in and ordered 63 sub sandwiches for their you know, wedding reception or something. And they were shocked that this subway wasn't thrilled uh, to make 63 sandwiches. They didn't order it ahead. So she gave them a one-star review. It's like, really lady? So it doesn't surprise me. I think it's not going to last forever. Like that's how economies work. Supply and demand works. Uh, you've talked about benefits before in, in previous shows from social security. Um, you know, the government is trying to pump some money into the economy to get it moving, do infrastructure, extend benefits, uh, let people figure this out. Uh, it, you know, you have a messaging issue from government. On the one hand, you can't say everybody stay home if you're non-essential and then flip a switch one day and go, okay, everybody back to work at your low-paying job with no benefits. Wow. Like it, it, it doesn't. Human nature sort of goes, wait a minute, maybe I don't want to make that minimum wage job anymore. Maybe I, you know, I'm, maybe I'll do a gig economy thing. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll do that and I'll move. I have a friend that lives in a van right now uh, and travels around. And as long as there's an internet connection, they get their work done. And the rest of the time, they're just cruising around in the van, going to some pretty cool places by the looks of their Instagram. Uh, pretty interesting adventures they're having. But I know that they have to get their work done. Uh, I don't know if it's day in and day out, but they have to get a certain amount of work done for their employer uh, via a Wi-Fi connection yeah. every single week. Yeah, it was interesting. I was at your house the other night. Uh, thanks for dinner, by the way. It was really you're, great. Oh, you're welcome. I fired up the, the egg for some pizzas. Yeah. I'm always amazed. Like you're, you're like just the intricate stuff that you do when you cook. Like, like I make ribs. I had seasoning. Maybe there'll be some sauce. Maybe not. Here's some ribs. But you, your you, ribs are good though. But, but but you do. I mean, it's really intricate and delicate and awesome and great. And 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 you're a really great host. So I I appreciated being over. And I also appreciated meeting a new friend 
who used to be your barber, used to cut your hair. Yeah. And I think they're called hairstylists now. Yeah. And he and he and and it kind of reminded me. I said, What what do you do now? He said, I, I do I do tech. And I and I said, Do you think you'll ever go back to the service industry? And he's like, no, I, I miss the connection, the friends, the people that I met. He said, but the freedom that he has in doing tech. And I'm just wondering how many people out there uh, have pivoted to tech. And, and, just- and he's a great example because he, while he was winding down his job at, in salons for like over a decade, I think he worked in a salon, he taught himself how to code. Wow. So he, he was very good with math always. Sort of had an aptitude toward it, but he didn't just coast along. He taught himself to code, hmm. started doing some side projects, and one of those side projects turned into a gig, and then he was able to leave his job. So it, it's not forever. There are people that have just been doing what you, I think, despise, going to the lake, uh, jerking around, like not doing much, and then they're not going to be able to change careers. Yeah. They're going to have to go back to, to whatever they're qualified to do. But there are other people who are like, you know what? I'm going to take this downtime. I'm going to get a new skill. I'm going to take a class. I'm going to pivot, to use the word everybody uses this last year, and I'm going to do something different. Yeah, the thing, the thing that I didn't like, and, and I'll go back to this gentleman that's our client that's running this restaurant. I said, I said don't you have people that are uh, signing up uh, to work for you. He said, yeah, all the time. He said, but some of them live two hours away, three hours away, four hours away. I said, then why are they signing up to be a server at your restaurant? And he said, well, th- they have to do it in order to get their government check. They have to prove. He said, but they're, 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 they're ne- they live in Spokane. They're never coming to Seattle to work. The thing I despise, and, I, and, and I'm over it, but it took me a long time to get over it, is when I really, I've, my family, uh, you know, growing up and, and for people, and I, I hate using the word government spoon because there, there, there's people that really do need uh, government help sometimes. And I don't, I don't, in our family, I don't think we ever, when my dad left, I don't think we ever went on food stamps. And my mom had shared this story before. She had a job, made $11,000 a year at the University of Mexico, being what they called a secretary then and, and raised four kids and, and did a phenomenal job. And I'm, and I'm grateful for that. Had this incredible work, work ethic. And, uh, so in, within the family, if my not, mom needed money, it typically would come and not a lot of it because within my and family, not I want to interject because you, you've said that story a lot. I would like to interject. If you did get government assistance in some way, you guys were worthy and should have got government assistance. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. Like, like I, you, you should have got food stamps or rent assistance or yeah. whatever for a single mom, especially with you and your brother. Yeah. I mean, you should get government oversight <laughs> even to this day with you and your brother. That's a point. So, so, so there was a time though after Hurricane Katrina where I was just cash poor, and we all were, and I had some cash, and I shared some of that cash with my friends, and then my money was locked up in other places, and I needed government help, but I couldn't get it. I could not get it. I just couldn't get it. And I know that you had a hard time getting it too. And yet there were people up here in Washington State, and we're still down in New Orleans. And, and, and they're taking road home money hand over fist. And this road home money was supposed to help people get home to New Orleans. I, I couldn't get a dollar or a dime. And I tried. I really tried. So I'm a little bitter and a little upset about that when I see people and they're kind of gigging the system. And I, and I have friends right now that are gigging the system. That, that does anger me a little bit because the system is funded 
and now I'm going to sound like an old man here, by the tax dollars uh, that I invest and spend. And so that, 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 that bothers me sometimes. So. And that's a fair point. There's no retort against that. Yeah. Uh, people that, are, that take. Hey, here's the thing, though. Those people are, are always takers. So they're probably not your friends. Because you, from what I know of you, you have a very short fuse for people that only take. Right. And so if someone's a, 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 a habitual taker, yeah. they, you're not going to be friends with them for very long. Yeah, that's probably true. All right. We'll see you on the other side of this, you guys. It's just like talking to a longtime friend. They are so fun and they were so fun to work with. When it comes to your real estate journey, you need an expert team and a playbook. The Ron and Don Playbook. It all starts with a Ron and Don sit down. I think the expertise provided by Ron and Don is really something I haven't seen before. I've bought probably a half a dozen properties over my lifetime. So I was just so impressed at how all in they were from the very beginning. They knew what we were going to need to do in order to get the house that I wanted. And they were absolutely committed to making that happen for me. So responsive. And I would hear from them if they needed something for me immediately. If I called them, they would answer. They were super responsive. Uh, Don was a bit of a magician, being that like there was things that nobody knew the answers to. It was remarkable, and I would get the call, hey, I was able to get the plans, the plans that if we don't get, we don't buy this house. And I get the call, and there's four boxes of plans. It was amazing. The sale price was 55k over ask, and that just blew us away. We were absolutely ecstatic. Thanks to their skill to negotiate, we are so grateful and so happy and so pleased. They were a thousand percent instrumental in making this deal happen and making sure we closed on time and that I was able to get into my dream condo. I'm just absolutely thrilled. I mean, I knew that this was going to be hard to find and we did it so quickly and got just the perfect house in exactly where I needed it to be at a price that I feel really good about. So I could not be happier with my experience. I really felt like I could, could trust them. They made some promises on some things mm-hmm. that, and they delivered on it with no questions mm-hmm. asked, you know, and they came through. I absolutely recommend Ron and Don for your real estate transactions or just a cup of coffee and a sit down. Ready to get in the game? Get your playbook and schedule your Ron and Don sit down now at ronanddonsitdown.com. Follow us on the social media platforms to search for Ron Upshaw or Don O'Neill. All right, you guys, welcome back uh, to the Ron and Don Show. Uh, there's a new article out about policing in the police academy here in Washington State. And we had heard, you know, Washington State, Seattle Police Department, all of us, King County, Pierce, Nahomish, uh, and, and throughout the rest of the state, State Patrol, uh, Local principalities and cities, we, we, we heard that we had some of the best trained officers in America. If you have a chance, Google 71 gets a gun. Supposedly, this is a joke and a wink and a nod, and I asked some officers about this, that after spending four months at the police academy here that Sue Rar ran up until last March, she actually retired, uh, and she was uh, the King County Sheriff here uh, for quite some time. Uh, they, they they said after after four months, uh, the police officers that would come out of that academy really knew nothing about writing reports, really knew nothing about putting suspects in handcuffs and making sure that they were safe and comfortable, really knew nothing about 
firearms and how to fire those firearms. And the deal is this. If you get a 71, if you get a 71 on your test, you get a 71, you get a gun, and supposedly uh, this was kind of the thing or has been the thing here in Washington State. They use the same police academy to prepare officers to go to Bellevue, go to Spokane, uh, go to State Patrol. Everybody goes to the same academy. And they say it's some of the worst training ever. It reminds me of this. When you and I decided that we wanted to get in real estate in Washington State, uh, similar thing. We still don't have any gun training. Yeah, where we're, we're, you, you, you have to pass a state test. What we were told by friends that were realtors, people that were uh, uh, bankers, more people that have, that have taken this test before, and people that run brokerages, they said everything that you learn and you'll you, everything that, that you learn when you go to real estate school and when you take this test, the stuff you have to learn to pass the test has nothing to do, has nothing to do with the job, nothing to do with it. You won't learn about systems. You won't learn about contracts. You won't learn about the law. You won't learn about farming. You won't learn how to build a business. You won't learn about the intricacies of the names of the different forms that you have to use because in Washington State, you're functioning in a very narrow lane as a real estate agent. You're writing these contracts, and Ron is very, very good at this, you guys. He's so good at this. But you're functioning as an attorney in Washington State. Everything that we have learned about real estate has been from being curious, has been from being involved in real estate our whole lives, but really, it's been involved with being around great people like Tamara Marson and Diane Terry and our good friend Patrick at Windermere. That's how we've learned this game is by being informal learners, asking lots of questions. Anytime we have a question, I could pick up the phone right now, morning, noon, and night, and someone at Windermere would take my call and provide an answer because that's when real estate happens. So it doesn't surprise me. That's weird because I usually get hung up on over yeah, and over It doesn't and over. surprise me that in Washington State, everything that you learn at the police academy has nothing to do with the job. But, but isn't that for every industry? You and I took communication degrees in college, and then we got a job in communication and used none of the academic stuff uh, in our day-to-day jobs. Yeah, but I don't think it's okay when it comes to policing and you're giving someone a badge... You're giving someone a gun. You're giving someone power. You're giving them the ability to take you and I, put handcuffs on us, and to throw us into a car, throw us into jail, uh, throw us in prison, write a report about us. I mean, the well, kind I mean, of what power you're talking about that- is the politics of curriculum, and we see that in every facet of life. It is important in policing. You're absolutely right, but these individual officers. They don't choose the curriculum. Well, here, and here, here's why the curriculum is so important. Guess what just happened in Washington State? What just happened? Let's say that you and I are, are, are Ponch and John. I will be John. We're a couple. Ch- well, you, have you seen John lately? I will be Ponch. Yeah, John is no longer. I'm Eric Estrada. <laughs> anyway, let's say that, that we get a call and that we hear that there is a, a bank being robbed. And so we show up at this bank, and there's a guy walking out the door, and he's carrying his satchel, and we think that he's the bank robber. Is he wearing a ski mask? He could be wearing a ski mask, sure. Maybe he's going skiing. We don't know. He gets in his car, and he drives away in Washington State. 
As of July 26, you and I are cops. Are we allowed to chase them? I, if if we were, I don't think you'd be bringing this up, so I'm going to say no. No, we're not allowed to chase him. Let's say now that he comes out of the bank and instead, and, and let's say that he hurts someone in the bank, or let's say he rapes someone in the bank, and, and, and he comes out of the and we don't necessarily see a gun, but, but we have a pretty good idea that we think there's probable cause, that there's probable cause that he is the bank robber. He's the one that went in there and hurt somebody. He's the one that went in there and raped somebody. And he runs down the street. And it's 1 o'clock in the morning. Are we allowed to chase him? I hope so. You're not. What bank is open at 1 a.m.? Because <laughs> I need to know this bank branch. Anyway, and, and, and here, here's the thing. Here, here, here's the thing. And we were, we were talking about this last week, and so I asked an officer about this. I said, you know, we, we talk a lot about not shooting somebody, right? And there's an investigation when, when, you're, when you're not supposed to shoot somebody. But what happens when you are supposed to shoot somebody? And so I asked a friend of mine that's been a detective with Seattle PD for almost 30 years. And, and so I asked her, I said, what happens if you're in a situation and because of what is happening in America right now with policing... What is happening at Washington today with 71 gets a gun and, and, and maybe the training is not so great. Uh, and she went on to say that cops are very bad shots for the most part on her department, which is the Seattle department. I said, what, what could happen to that officer? And this is what she said. She says, if an officer chooses not to fire and somebody is injured or killed, the officer is subject to the same type of investigation of their judgment as an officer involved shooting, and they would be subject to the same discipline up to and including termination. That blows my mind. Blows my mind. In, in, well, it, isn't that the same as the inaction we saw in the Derek Chauvin situation where you had other officers who are now being charged with crimes witnessing something and not doing something because he's the, he's the supervisor isn't that the same if, if i should have engaged and did not that is an equivalency to over engaging yeah you know what i i, I, I if, if if you were in that situation or i was in that situation and that guy had been a training officer for 19 years and i've been on the job for six months I don't know that I would have gone over there and removed him. I wouldn't have known that I, because what he was doing, police departments do that. And when you turn on an episode of cops, you see cops doing that. It's one of the reasons why they took the cops television show, which Pierce County was a big part of. They took that show off the air because they said, this is not good for cops. I guess it's not good for black. So all I'm saying is like, I can see the law saying if we, if we're going to penalize someone for being overactive, we should also be allowed to penalize someone for being underactive. So don't, don't miss my point. My point is that policing has become so complicated. And what we can't take out is we can't take out that feeling of adrenaline of emotion when somebody has been raped, somebody has been hurt. Somebody has been shot. An officer has been involved. I mean, all those things, it's really easy to sit back and watch things over and over again on YouTube or on Channel 7, uh, please bring Steve Rabel back, I miss his mustache. It's it's really easy to sit back and armchair quarterback that. I'm just saying, 
in Washington State to know that I'm going to go to an academy that's really not teaching me to be a cop. I hope that I'm going to be around other officers that are not the Derek Chauvin's of the world because that's who you really depend upon in the same way that we're really dependent upon people in our office to show us the way because the training's not great. And at the end of the day, it's different. If I make a mistake, if I make a mistake, then maybe I get sued and I lose $10,000 or someone loses their earnest money. If an officer makes a mistake, someone ends up dead. We'll see you on the other side of this. Hey, what's going on, Ron and Don Nation? This is Therese, a new team member on Ron and Don team. It's tough out there for buyers right now, and that's why you need a buyer specialist like me. Let's send you a buyer's playbook, and for you sellers, we have a seller's playbook. Reach out to the team, and let's do a sit-down, and we'll get you these playbooks. Just reach out to us at ronanddonsitdown.com, and we'll schedule a sit-down today. Now back to the show. Hey, you guys. Welcome back to the Ron and Don Show, episode 290. Before we get out of here, I want to thank everybody uh, that has been a part of a real estate transaction with us this year for trusting us. We really appreciate that. And I would like to toot your horn a little bit. We've had a, a, a run of some buyers lately. It has not been easy to buy a house in this market over the last six to 12 months. And so not only have we been able to buy some houses for people and dream houses for some, uh, we've done it most of the time at list price or below list price. And we've gotten some concessions uh, from sellers that when I tell people in our office, they're like, you did what? Yeah. You got that house at list price and you got some money back? So uh, good job out of you. And, Thanks, man. And uh, buying is a skill. And, and we do that well. Listings a skill as well, and and uh, we're, we pride ourselves on our listings. But I'm also equally as proud when, when a buyer can take. Yeah, and it's because I went to the Washington uh, State Police Academy. I got a 71. I have a gun, so I use that during uh, contract Hello. negotiations. The comedic stylings is done on deal, everybody. Yeah. Anyway, I thought that this was really interesting, you guys. This is crazy. When they talk about all the COVID nineteen misinformation that we see on the internet, and then we've seen. We've seen so much information uh, during the presidential run. They say, and I don't know if you read this number, this drives me nuts. When it comes to COVID-19 specifically, the things that you and I have either read in the paper or the stuff that we read online or the things that people talk about, all the misinformation that's out there is provided to us by about 12 people. And one of those peoples is not Dr. Anthony Fauci. It's pretty unbelievable. You should say 12 accounts. What's that? It's not 12 people, I would yeah, I would argue. Yeah, 12 yeah. different accounts. An account could be, if it's a Russian troll farm, you could have 100, 200 people working on that account. Great point. But uh, anyways, 12 sources. Yeah, 12, 12 sources that have created all this misinformation. And I just have to wonder, I have to wonder, at some point, do we pull back from the insanity and do we start to agree on facts again? Everybody talks about Tip O'Neill and Ronald Reagan and the way that they were able to get along and cross the aisle. Or even Joe Biden back in the day, uh, that he could cross the aisle. And they say it's one of the reasons right now, right now why he is having some success with those on the other side. And he's trying to do some things with infrastructure and everything else. I just, I, I have to wonder, do we ever return to the day 
where we agree upon facts because the Ronald Reagans of the world and the Tip O'Neills, they could at least agree on, they could disagree with each other, but they were agreeing with the same set of facts. Well, not if we don't make substantive changes. Uh, And to your point, um, when you have social media platforms and Russian troll farms and all these different entities that, here's what I always think. Who does this benefit? Like, if you ask that question of yourself when you're interacting with simple things or complicated things, who benefits from this? So when when you think about a troll farm or misinformation or, uh, you know, someone not getting vaccinated or whatever, who benefits from that? And I'm not going to fill in the blanks for you. But just you start going down those rabbit holes. And once you see that, once you follow the money, you follow the incentives, you follow the power, uh, it ends up in some interesting spots. We're like, oh, I'm giving my energy, my power, my influence, my social media circle. I'm giving it away for free to feed someone else's ambition or power or influence. And if you think of it in those terms, would I go work for free for fill in the blank? No. If they told me, hey, come over to my house and and do this manual labor, you would think, well, what are you going to pay me? Or come to this office building and sit at your computer and do these tasks I'm telling you to do. You would say, well, that's a job. How much are you going to pay me? But somehow we've been lulled into this thing where we're going to give away our energies and attention for free. Uh, where, where someone else has created the incentive. And, and so unless some of those fundamentals change, then no, well, it'll continue to be exactly what it is because you have people that are behavioral scientists that know all the biases and they just play into them. Hmm. So they play into fear. They play into hoarding. They play into power differentials. They play into racial bias. They play into these tropes and people... Take the bait. So it'll, it'll continue to stay there unless people, you know, change some of the underlying assumptions. Good news. Totally good news. It's a great way to end this. Yeah, I thought we were going to do something tonight. fun here. I feel great now. I want an ice cream now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> we uh, went to get ice cream. Last night, and I let my son pick out my ice cream and his ice cream. Were you doing the <gasps> yogurt ones with the toppings, or did you? No, I just we went in and we were up at Ken's Market, and I said, "You, you, I'll pick dinner. You pick ice cream. Ice cream." Did he get the mac and cheese ice cream? Did you see that that came out last week? No, there's a mac and cheese ice cream. He got me a strawberry shortcake ice cream with like the candies that are in like Lucky Charms. Mm. It was the most horrible. Sounds delicious. Horrific thing I have ever tasted. Not in my if you're life. eleven. I I, I I one spoonful. So guess who had two desserts last night? <laughs> <laughs> I'd try that. 
Wow. Hey, you guys, thanks for listening to episode 290. If you need us, just reach out. Ronanddonsitdown.com. And uh, we'll have an opportunity to sit down with you this week. We typically do it in the morning. We can do it virtually. And then uh, we come out and see you. And guess what? We are bigger and badder than you thought we were. So you better watch out, people. Especially when we put the aviator glasses on. We look like Tom Cruise in a... We look like a couple Tom Cruises. Not really. Maybe more of a... Like a Bill Cruz. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, if you need us, reach out. RonandDonSitDown.com. In the meantime, keep your head up, your shoulders back, and we'll see you next time live from the Les Schwab Studios. Only on the Ron and Don Radio Network. Keep your head up and your shoulders back, and we'll see you next time on the Ron and Don Radio Network. <laughs>